So we are exploring chapter 5 of Romans where Paul tells us that we are now reconciled to the heart of God through his Son, Jesus Christ. We have access to the kingdom of God, access to this uh, throne room uh, where we stand, this uh, throne room of grace. We have peace with God. And then Paul says, as I pointed out yesterday and we started to explore, that we even uh, rejoice and glory in trouble, in tribulations. That is a hard thing to take. Well, let's study it a little bit more today. You see, there is a whole other world going on, on top of and imposing in on this world that we live in. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We have an eye of faith. It's a gift from God. And we are able to see things that are totally different from what the world sees. And as a result of that, we know that we can rejoice in tribulation because there's something else going on on top of the tribulation. I think the best way I can illustrate this in the brief time that I have is that wonderful story of Joseph. You know how how I love this story. I've mentioned it so many times, and I really encourage you to read it for yourself. It's in Genesis 37, then you skip 38, and then it goes to 39 to 37, and then 39 to 50. Joseph was his dad's favorite. He was the son of his of his beloved wife, Rachel, and... Uh, um, and uh, he was somehow a, a special child. He had some sensitivity. He had tenderness. He had a sense of um, re- reverence for God and loyalty to his dad. His dad made that coat of many colors, you know. But that re- to understand that, that was a long white coat, actually, uh, uh, sleeves down to the wrists and uh, uh, the coat down to his ankles, and then with just a rim at the bottom and on the uh, wrists of uh, color, a color band. It was a a coat that was uh, worn by regal people, by uh, special people, by people who were noble and who didn't expect to have to work in, in a manual way. Uh, manual br- workers like his brothers, his half ten, his ten half brothers, would uh, uh, wear short uh, clothes uh, in order to keep their limbs free and clothes that were darker in color so that they could cover up all the dirt uh, through the rough work they did. So obviously the brothers felt quite jealous of this boy and uh, he was 17 his dad had asked him to go and check on them because they were minding the sheep in a pretty dangerous area and uh, when they saw him coming they kidnapped him they were so resentful towards him. They put him, you remember, in that uh, pit. Reuben, they ha- had every plan to kill him. Uh, Reuben rescued him and said, let's, well, uh, suggested a plan. Let's uh, take him out and uh, sell him to these Midianites coming along. And so he sold, they were sold. 
He was sold to the Midianites. He was uh, sold on the slave trade market, and he became a slave to Potiphar, who was a uh, uh, part of the guard uh, of uh, Pharaoh's palace. And uh, there he spent three years uh, with Potiphar. And then he was charged with uh, a trumped-up rape charge uh, as a result of uh, uh, Potiphar's wife uh, having the hots for him. And then... uh, uh, he was thrown into a dungeon for three years. Uh, the boy must have been, well, he was about uh, nearly 30 at this time. He must have gone through terrible grief at the loss of his dad. There was great mourning. You can imagine as well that the brothers went home um, feeling guilt all the time, dreaming of their the face of their younger brother and... Uh, Uh, very stressed forever, watching their dad, who could not uh, get over his grief and was determined to go down to his grave in grief. Uh, And then um, uh, some uh, courtiers of of of, uh, Pharaoh were in the jail, in the dungeon with him. They had dreams. Uh, Joseph interpreted those dreams, and as a result, one of them was restored. Uh, When he was restored to the uh, uh, palace of Pharaoh, Um, remembered Joseph, but not until three years later when when Pharaoh himself had dreams. Well, by this time, uh, Joseph was somewhere around 37, I think it was, and he was called in to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. You know the story, seven years of plenty, there will be in Egypt, and then seven years of famine, and Pharaoh ought to seek out a wise man who will store up grain for those seven years of famine. Who better, said Pharaoh, than you? And so Joseph, of all things, was appointed prime minister of Egypt. Astonishing. And then as the, fam- uh, the there were seven years of plenty, and then the fam- f- uh, famine came, about two years into the famine, even uh, Joseph's brothers and father in Canaan were starving, and they went to Egypt to get help, to get food. Uh, Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And the story goes on until finally um, he reveals himself after a couple more years uh, to his brothers. They are utterly stunned and they cannot believe what has happened. They go back to the father. The father and all his family of 70 are brought into Egypt and rescued along with all the Egyptians. That's the basic story. That's the human story. It's uh, full of uh, tenderness and uh, emotion. You should read it for yourself. It often brings me to tears because there is such a wonderful reunion uh, after all these years. And also so you can imagine so much pain. And one of the things I like about the story is that the writer of the story gives the ages of um, uh, Joseph at the various at various points in the journey, in the story. So it helps us to follow the chronology of it all. But what is important about this story is what comes at the end of it. What the brothers were concerned about is that once Joseph revealed himself to them and had all this power, prime minister of Egypt, that he would seek his revenge and wreak it on his brothers. But this is what Joseph said. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. That's 45 verse 6, verse 5. Then 
It says, And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. That's verse 7. And then verse 8. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Three times, you see, that statement was made. It was not God who sent you here, sent me here, but it was not you who sent me here, rather, but God. Well, of course, that's absurd in a way, isn't it? Because it was those brothers who sent him there. It was those brothers who kidnapped him, who put them in, put him in the pit, who then took him out of the pit and sold him to the Midianites. And the Midianites uh, took him to Egypt and sold him uh, on the slave market. So human beings were very much involved in this assault and abuse of Joseph. And yet Joseph a man of vision, a man who could interpret dreams, saw something else. He saw the invisible. He saw that God was at work. And so he said, it wasn't you who sent me here, it was God. So what does that mean? It means that God's sovereign power, full of grace and mercy, is operating on top of and superimposing itself on top of human beings' evil and wicked actions. And that work of God means that there are two wills at work in every action. By the way, there's one more verse uh, that where, Paul, where uh, Joseph mentions this, and it's chapter 50, verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, the saving of many people alive. Now, it's significant that this, these definitive statements of the sovereignty of God come at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, because whenever you see things at the beginning of things, whenever you see teaching that is definitive at the beginning in the book of Genesis, then it means it's a principle that follows right the way through the Bible. And this is what we have here. We have the teaching that God operates superimposes himself over the actions of men and Satan and brings and redirects the events or uh, changes the effects of the events so that they turn out to be blessings instead of the curses of mankind or of Satan. Two wills are operating. This is why you and I can praise God in tribulation. The tribulation that appears around us with our physical eyes is terrifying, very unnerving, very un, uh, disturbing. Whether it's trouble in the world, wars and all of those things, trouble in, the, in society, famines or, or criminality, whatever it is, it's, from a human perspective, it looks truly daunting. But when we, men and women of faith, exercise that faith and say, Dear God, you are, in, you are superimposing your gracious sovereignty in everything that is happening in the world so that your will comes out. I mean, who in the world would have dreamed that Joseph, instead of turning up dead, would turn up to be prime minister of the greatest nation on earth at that time, Egypt? 
just one under Pharaoh. Even Pharaoh, in fact, was inferior in many, many ways to Joseph. Joseph was like a father to Pharaoh. And Joseph, and God, through Joseph, was saving Egypt as well as Canaan uh, and uh, the, uh, th- from this famine. How interesting that the blessing that, Abra- that God gave Abraham, that through him all families of the earth would be blessed, was already starting to show itself because through the son of Abraham, Egypt was being rescued from famine. Now, this is what you and I have to do then with our troubles. We have to go before God and say, Oh, dear God, there is trouble all around me, and it never seems to cease. But, Lord God, I am exercising my faith that you have given me, and I am seeing that what's going on is a light affliction, as it says in Second Corinthians 4. And I can see that this affliction is but for a moment because you are working something far more and exceedingly great and it's an eternal weight of glory through all this affliction. And so, dear God, I'm giving thanks to you for this affliction because something totally unexpected that I will see now or in the kingdom will take place through this affliction. It will not destroy me. It will bring redemption. It will not bring curse. It will bring blessing. It will not bring death. It will bring life. I praise you, dear God. You see, then, the uh, reason for praising. It's not because we're just putting our heads in the sand and ignoring everything that's going on around us. It's that we're acknowledging something far greater that's going on around us, God's grace and God's sovereignty that's turning all the effects of evil into blessing. Well, thank you for listening. You can hear this program any time of the day or night on your smartphone. Simply download a free app, soundcloud.com or podbean.com and key in how it happens with Colin Cook when you get there. Would you consider a donation? It would so help this broadcast to keep going. It's in its 26th year now. Make your donation online by going to faithquestradio.com faithquestradio.com. Thanks so much. I'll see you next time. Cheerio and God bless.